Hey there, welcome back or welcome to the Defining Endurance Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Andrew Simmons from Lifelong Endurance. I've got a question for all of you. When it comes to racing and training, do you race to win or do you race not to lose? My discussion today is with the founder of Roll Recovery, Mr. Jeremy Nelson. Now, before we get into things, I want to share that we're really excited to actually be partnering with Roll Recovery. Uh, for the next couple episodes, you guys are going to hear us talk about the R8 Plus and a number of different devices that they have out. Um, this is kind of our first partnership as part of our podcast. So this is a really exciting thing for us. And being able to sit down with Jeremy today uh, was not just a discussion about how Roll Recovery got started. It's actually a deep dive into the psyche of who we all are. I think as athletes, we are all a little bit of an entrepreneur. We have to have a lot of the same things as athletes that entrepreneurs possess. This means that we have to kind of have the same mindset. We have to be able to look at the bigger picture of things and even believe in something that we can't see yet. I always describe to my younger athletes and even my adult athletes that when you start a hike, when you start climbing a mountain, you don't know what the summit looks like. You may have never been to the top and heck, the whole time that you're climbing, you may not be able to see it, but you have to believe that it's there. And that belief and that understanding and the risk that's taken to say, this is the right path for me to take to get to the top of that mountain is the same thing that Jeremy had to do when he built Rural Recovery talking about risk, talking about change. All of those things are what we cover in this episode. I'm really excited. So without further ado, let's dive right in. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, my guest today, Mr. Jeremy Nelson of Rural Recovery. Jeremy, thanks for taking the time to pop on today. Thanks so much for having me on. This is, this is an exciting one. I've, uh, I've been a, a user of Roll Recovery's tools since the, the days of rollerblade wheels and uh, the early, <laughs> early days of 3D printing. Uh, so it's really cool to actually sit down with you as uh, both of us have, have taken quite the journey in our businesses. Um, and uh, for those that don't know what Roll Recovery is, I'm going to let Jeremy kind of uh, you know, spit on the mic here about uh, what Rural Recovery is. And uh, we're going to get a little bit into the origin story of things. But also, I want to bring this back to all of our listeners as to, uh, you know, when, when we think about an idea that we might have or a dream that we might have, whether that's uh, something as simple as achieving a sub three hour marathon, qualifying for Boston, uh, we all go through the ups and downs. And the reason I brought Jeremy on today is uh, to share the story of Rural Recovery as well as sharing how his business got started uh, and all that he went through as a business owner, as a leader. Uh, so I think this will be a really good one. Jeremy, uh, tell me a little bit about how Roll got started. Yeah, definitely. So um, I'll start out with saying that Roll Recovery is um, a performance recovery company. And that's something that um, if you go back in the early days, like what you had mentioned earlier, uh, there really wasn't a lot of, I'd say, innovation in the space. And that kind of surprised me, you know, because my background is in mechanical engineering. And um, I had just finished up a, uh, a graduate degree at Stanford for product development. And I didn't really intend to fall into sports recovery. Uh, it just sort of, I'd say it sort of naturally happened if that if that can work, I mean, don't get me wrong, there were a ton of hurdles to get over. And it is quite the story going from a rough prototype, which you may have seen many years ago, going from that 
uh, with no money and trying to build a brand and a company around that. So uh, it, it has been quite the journey. You know, you shared a little bit, you know, at Stanford, did you just get a bachelor's or is your, do you have multiple degrees in engineering from Stanford? I have, um, I, I studied mechanical engineering uh, at Colorado State University and then went to Stanford for product development. And that's really what I would say, if anything, I, I think gave me the confidence to do it. But uh, for all those listeners that don't have a degree, I mean, I can't stress enough that I, ex- I think in this day and age, you don't really have to have a degree in some specific field. I mean, certainly I may have had some advantages getting going, uh, but I think more than anything, it's, it's tenacity, just getting after it and learning everything you can about a certain subject. You don't need a university for that. Uh, that being said, though, when I was there, I mean, I had, it just gave me a lot of confidence, like seeing the people that were there before me that had started you know, these massive companies. And I kind of thought, you know, if they're doing those huge projects, certainly we can try this. Um, so I think if anything, it just gave me a lot of confidence to, to try and tackle it. Yeah. I think, I think back to even just starting our business as a coaching company, you know, when, when we initially looked at the market, we moved here in 2013, started our business in 2014. Uh, you know, we were like, Oh, we have to be one of a million coaching companies here in the Denver area, how are we ever going to create something that's unique and different uh, that people are going to want to be a part of? And I think that's what um, I'm kind of hearing from you is that as you entered the market, you kind of realize like, oh, this this thing isn't here. There isn't someone that's done it this way. Uh, and maybe not to say that you niched out. Um, I'm actually really curious to understand what when you went to Stanford, was this always an idea that was in your brain that you're like, hey, this this thing specifically, at least initially for runners, uh, as you know, <laughs> rollerblade wheels, basically kind of pinching, <laughs> pinching isn't the right word, but you know, creating, uh, you know, yeah. Was that always in the back of your mind or was there 10,000 ideas and this just happened to be the one that clicked? 10,000 ideas. So I'm just one of those guys. I just have, I, I used to have this notebook and I still have it, but I used to be really active on it where I had just so many ideas in there when just various business ideas to product ideas. And some of them were just totally dumb. Some of them were probably pretty great, but I just didn't pursue them. And um, I think combining my love of running with this would just seem like a really great thing to tackle. And, you know, uh, my wife, who, you know, Adriana Nelson, she's a professional marathon runner. So uh, we were already running and I was basically like, I guess to get into my running background, because that's what really made me sort of fall into this. Um, And I always kind of felt like wherever I'm at, I feel like I'll find ways to sort of make things better or just improve the experience for people. And so this just happened to be on the running side. And um, I was essentially Adriana's full-time pacemaker. So I was the guy that she was beating up on. She was beating me in every workout. And um, my background is actually in cycling. So I used to actually ride my bike next to her, pacing her for workouts. And um, I used to play soccer too, competitive soccer. So I, I was, was a runner too, just an athlete, but I wasn't, I definitely wasn't a runner. I mean, I, I trail ran in college and I ran just for sanity purposes, but I didn't learn what running is until I met Adriana. And that's, she, she really showed me, she opened up this, this door um, and kind of immersed myself into running. So I, uh, I remember one day I was on the bike pacing her and 
she just made it look so easy. She's doing a hard workout and I was pacing her and it was a long day. She's training for a marathon. I think, I think at that time she's training for the Chicago marathon, uh, which she ended up getting second at her first marathon. Uh, so I'm doing a workout, I'm, I'm pacing her. And in my mind, I'm like, this looks way too easy. She's barely breathing. She's just jogging. So I'm like, you know what? Let me ditch the bike and hop in this workout. So I ditch the bike, put on my shoes and I'm pretty confident. And I start running as hard as I can next to her. And I'm huffing and puffing and I'm like, holy crap, this is way harder than she makes it look. And it was really impressive to see um, just how tuned you can get your body. And I mean, she was like a weapon, you know, so she was uh, just crushing these workouts. And, and, you know, that day woke me up. I mean, I thought I was going to die. I remember like wheezing next to her. I literally was like, oh, my gosh, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And that's kind of what intrigued me. So I'm like, you know what? Let me start training with her. And I said, you know what? Uh, she had run, let's see, she had run Chicago, did really well. She got into Chicago the next year. So the following year, I'm like, I'm going to run that with you. And everybody's like, man, you didn't run in college. Uh, you're, you're not, you can't run a marathon. And I was, you know, this is when I was probably 26 years old. And I don't have all those miles in my legs, but I was kind of confident. Like, you know what? I can do this. Like, it can't be that bad. And so I set a goal. I was like, you know, maybe I'll try and break three hours for my first one. Like, why not? And everyone was like, oh, you can't do that. You have to have, you know, run this many halves, run this many 10Ks and 5Ks. And so I guess like going back like to the coaching side too, I feel like anyone can do it. I mean, this is such a great sport that anyone can do it. There's like no entry to do, to do this sport where where I come from, like cycling, I mean, you have to have an expensive race bike. I mean, there's just a whole barrier, but running was so refreshing. Just put on a pair of shoes. And this was before next percent vapor flies and all that. This was just put on a pair of old shoes and go run. And I started doing that and, and training pretty hard. And so I had seven months from basically going from not a runner to deciding I wanted to break 230 in the marathon. Wow. And I was just just training, like basically just pacing Adriana. All that's all I was doing was helping her, supporting her, hopping in different running groups. I'm sure we met along the way. Actually, that was probably later when we met. Uh, but just just you know, hopping into running and uh, ran my first half marathon in Chicago and won it actually. So I ran 112 for my first half. And I don't think many Adriana people was can say with they... me. They did that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like, I remember there was a couple of guys who were like, wait, you just started running? Like, what's your secret? I'm like, man, just, you just, whatever you get into, you got to be super passionate about it. And I'm just a really passionate person. So like, whatever I get into, I'm like all in. And we and Adriana ran that one together. In fact, we we had talked in that race. Let's like run through the finish line, holding hands together. And right before the finish line, I put my chest out and I, I won. <laughs> I hope I that's hanging over your mantle. I hope I, I know you, you, you've got a, you, you know, <laughs> you have a young daughter and I hope that the, the picture of you leaning is, is the one that's on your mantle. Just, I will like, never let Adriana forget that. It's like the one time I can beat her. I'm surprised she, she doesn't let you beat. forget that. She, she, uh, <laughs> she probably could have beat me if she really wanted to, but, uh, so that was two weeks before the marathon. And actually in wow. all, in all honesty, I probably gassed myself quite a bit, uh, because I, I was just going all out. And I had like no idea what I was doing. So come Chicago Marathon, uh, I remember the race director was like, if you're going to run with Adriana, you can't be anywhere near her. Like, don't pace her. Just just run your own race. I'm like, okay, cool. 
So when we started the race in Chicago, uh, guys start, let's see, guys started on one side. I believe at that time, women started on the other side. There's kind of like a divide. And I couldn't tell, mm-hmm. I was in the top 100. I couldn't tell. I thought the women were in front of me. I couldn't really tell. I ended up going out way too hard, like just following these guys. That, and I, I remember being like maybe 10K into it, feeling pretty hurt and asking the guys in my little group, like, hey, what, what time are you shooting for? And they were like, you know, low 220s. I'm like, I'm way, this is like way too fast. I ended up blowing up quite a bit and long story short, barely finished, but I finished 239. So that was like my thing. And I was like, that was the hardest thing I've ever done for sure. But just being, I think like, I, I feel like I kind of had an advantage in some way because I didn't have all that collegiate miles and coaching and just different stuff. I kind of had like a complete fresh take on it. And that's sort of what I, I'd also finished up school at that time too. So that's sort of what helped me evolve into like, um, you know, Adriana was getting uh, professional massages once a week. She had like all the, you know, PT and all that stuff. And I had nothing like broke runners, nothing. So I'm essentially stuck to the foam roller. That's all I had was the stick and the foam roller. That's all we had back then. And I'm sitting on the foam roller and man, I'm tired after workouts. Like I just want to sit on the couch not have to like do a second workout, like doing a plank on a foam roller. And I actually Googled things out there. I'm like, you know, how come there's not, like I want to buy something for myself that, you know, I can at least supplement, uh, you know, cause I'm not getting these massages. And I think I probably had the world's tightest IT bands. I remember like the one time I got a massage, the therapist touched my IT bands he's like, wow, like they were so tight. And so when I found out there was nothing online like what i had in my mind and i and i was actually really surprised that everything looked like just so dated and just like just no innovation so that's what really was like okay let me see if i can come up with something and and at that time i didn't really think let's build this brand and let's have this business i was just like a tinker i was like okay let me make a prototype just play with it didn't really have these huge objectives just let me see what i can come up with and literally went to home depot got a bunch of spare parts, bolts, just anything I could think of. Uh, took apart an old pair of rollerblades. I remember bending metal over paint cans to get like a, you know, a, a shape and uh, put together a prototype to see if it, it works. And I have it here. I don't know if a lot of your listeners are listening or uh, watching on, on this, but this was one of the first prototypes. Whoa. So this clanky, and I'll kind of describe it if you can't see it. It's imagine the claw from Toy Story that comes down to pick up Woody, like the most jinkety, you know. So I made this concept, but the, the idea was that it compresses on both sides, has like free flowing rollers on both sides. The problem is it's so clunky. When you, when you let go of it, it drops down and it just really isn't that great. And so that kind of led into the next prototype which was this guy. So this was all made out of just PVC plastic, the rollerblade wheels from, you know, just recycled stuff. I had some springs from, uh, I think it was from McGuckin's the store in Boulder here. And so I put together this, this prototype and this was the one that basically opened the doors up. So I remember like putting the last bolt into it, trying it on and going, holy cow, this thing really works. It feels great. And at that time, my, my neighbor was a uh, bike racer, a big cyclist. 
I ran over, I showed him and I'm like, Hey, what do you think about this? He's like, Whoa, what is this? And he's like, can you build me one of these? And, you know, I was like, what would you pay for? He's like, I'll pay a hundred bucks if you build me one of these. And that, that was kind of like a seed. He was like, okay. He liked it, you know, and then that story kind of continued where we started to show other runner friends. Uh, we showed our PT and everybody was like, wow, just make me one. Like, this is awesome. And that's really what, you know, opened the door up. But it, I mean, there was a, a huge going from this like rough prototype, being broke, having no money to actually trying to make it and make something at scale is extremely challenging. And this is something that you don't learn this in school. I mean, this is like, you know, you have to really bear down. And I kind of, I kind of think that a lot of entrepreneurs, it's not so much like they're not necessarily more intelligent or whatever. They're just willing to bear more pain. And in order to do this, we thought we're going to have to bear some pain because we, you know, we don't come from wealthy families where we can just, you know, fund this. We had to really scrap together it scrapped together everything. So we sold our house, sold basically everything, my bike, cars, like we maxed out every single credit card, which is like, don't do this, by the way, if you're listening to this, like, don't do it the way we did it, because it's a little reckless, but we basically maxed our credit cards, got the full cash advance. We were just clawing and scratching. I ended up, I ended up borrowing money from my mom, which I felt like I've never borrowed money before. And I was like, you know, we were desperate. We, we scrapped together enough just to get tooling made because tooling is so expensive. And uh, that's when, you know, like uh, I actually had tried to make it um, in the United States. So I had this whole side project. Like I wanted to show that a small time entrepreneur can make something here in the States. And long story short, it just, uh, you know, it just uh, was not doable at the time. So, yeah, I ended up going to, to China, making tooling and uh, making our first production run. And that was this was back in 2012. So this was uh, we were in North Boulder at that time. And we uh, yeah, I remember we made the first production, small, tiny production and just thought, you know what? In my mind, I'm like, well, worst case, we'll just go to races. I'll go to expos. I'll just sell the production I have if it takes three years to sell it, we'll just sell them eventually. And I was happy with that. And I think that's important to understand that you, you have to be okay with both. Like you obviously dream for, you shoot for the stars, you dream big, but you have to be okay with what's that worst case scenario. If you're not okay with that, don't do it. And you have to be okay with that. And I always knew, well, look, we, we can eat out of a can. I mean, like we could, we can live broke as a joke if we have to, we, we're going to make this work. And so we, we ended up selling that first production in about three months. Wow. Paid everybody back. Like it was a huge relief. Did another production. The next one, a little bit bigger, sold that in about four months. We ended up getting gear of the year in men's journal magazine. Uh, and that's kind of what started the whole thing off. It's just been like the most incredible journey. And I'll say, I'll say this though, one huge advantage we had um, I remember we were doing a, this was back when running times existed. Do you remember running times? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. One of my yeah, favorite magazine. Like it was like what the real runners read, you know, like runners world was like beginner running times was like, you know, anyway. So Jonathan <laughs> Beverly, he was the editor in chief of running times and he was doing, they were doing a photo shoot. Adrian was going to be on the cover of running times. So they told us, okay, you guys need to go to Keystone. We're going to do this photo shoot. And I was just tagging along. I was just husband, you know, tagging along. 
And I'm talking to Jonathan, which is a great guy. And we're still great friends to this day. And I was telling him about this wacky idea I had. I'm like, look, you know, I have this idea for this, this product, this recovery device, you know, and he's kind of listening. He's like, yeah, he, I could, I could kind of tell. He's like, he's like, yeah, whatever. You know, everyone has an idea. And so he's just, whatever. He's like, you know, just send me, send me one when you get one and I'll, I'll check it out. So when we got our very first, we got our very first R8 in. This is probably the one that you had or tried before. Yep. Yeah. So we, the very first one, I put it in a shipping box to send it to Jonathan Beverly, hoping he'll do something with it for, for uh, running times. I had a return label in it because I said, hey, I need this back. This is our only one. Like This is the one that our golden sample, the one that we have to keep. And so I, looking back on it, it's hilarious. Like I would never do that nowadays. Like give me, you know, give it to me back when you're done with it. But you know, we didn't know. When you have so one, it to him. it's hard to give it up, right? Yeah. It was like, it was like my baby. It's like an infant, you know? So I sent it to him, didn't hear much. And then I find out he's like, Hey, I'm putting it in. Uh, it was, uh, like this, the spring best product, best running products of the spring. And so like, I was like, you're kidding me. And it was next to like, you know, other like Nike and other products. And I'm like, holy cow, like that was my first kind of experience in PR and how just how that's how that whole thing works. And then that's what led to the men's journal. Um, so it sort of just all leads on itself. And um, anyway, yeah, that's that's kind of how we got got going. That's that's awesome, because, you know, I when I look at this, right, like I I had some notes and I'm just th- thinking like there's so many relations between like that first marathon for you and kind of this product development piece is like, eh, if I fail, so what? Right. And I think so often as, as athletes, we put all this pressure and expectation on ourselves that, you know, we have an expectation that if I do X workout, I'm going to get X result. Um, and I think one of the things, and I don't know if it's a, a matter of, of ignorance being bliss, that you didn't know what you didn't know at the time and everything that happened to you just right. Like meeting Jonathan and having that connection and leading to men's journal, like that's kind of in the same sense, right? Like you're on the bike, you hop in the workout and and you get into the marathon and you just keep running and you finish the thing and you do pretty damn well. Um, you know, I think about that and it's like, you never really had a fear of failure. You never really had a thing that, you know, at least not expressed outward of like, oh man, if this doesn't fail, like I'm not going to eat, even though the risk was, hey, we might not pay uh, the mortgage this month because we are maxed out. We're borrowing money from family. Um, was there ever like that, that feeling of imposter syndrome, that feeling that like, oh, this, I can't do this. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Or was it always just kind of like, let's just see what happens. So great question. And I think it's so funny because in retrospect, I should have been terrified. Imagine being this young guy, hundreds of thousands in debt. Like you could lose everything, be in debt up to your eyeballs for, and I had no fear. And and I think what it is, is drive overrides fear. You look in life, like your drive can override all those negative thoughts. And I think at that time, I was so sizzling to make it work and to make it happen. I probably have more fear now. I mean, sometimes I feel like I, you, sometimes, sometimes you feel like you operate out of fear in some ways. It's like you get in this defensive mode and you're like, whether it's competitive sports, like I don't want, I don't want to be beat. So you're like in this fear state. 
or with business the same way. Like, I don't want them to beat us. So you're like, you're fearful because of that. And I think it's really important to just keep that drive and motivation up. And the other thing too, is that, I mean, there's so many lessons. I think running has taught me so much just about life and that when you start training for a marathon, you're not, you're not doing the whole thing in a day. You don't, you can't, you physically can't, you have to pace yourself. And same thing with product development, same thing with business. You pace yourself one day at a time. You have this big goal, this objective that's way out in front that keeps you motivated every day. And, uh, that's what sort of, you know, keeps it moving. So yeah, I mean, I should have been absolutely terrified, but really we were like, and I mean, like, and luckily too, Adriana is the most supportive wife and she's just like, let's do it. Like, I remember the time when I told her we have to sell our house and sell everything we own. And I was, I had this whole speech lined up. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to sit her down and like, you know, really lay it on and like give this whole talk. I literally said, Hey, I, if we, if we're going to make this work, we got to sell everything. She goes, okay. I was like, Oh Whoa. yeah. Like, really? Like, Oh, you sure? Like, okay, let's do it. Let's. So next, literally Monday morning, the next Monday, that was a Sunday, Monday morning, we had a realtor put a sign out front. We were under contract within a week. Solar, like it happened so fast wow. that, you know, just sort of, I don't know. I feel like at that time, I, I really, I really uh, miss those times too. Like I think that startup story, I mean, every journey is different. Our journey is certainly not like all of them, but I love that. Like you're just gritty. You're going after it. I just love that. I mean, that's something that, I'm hugely passionate about. You know, I was, um, you know, if you guys are, are watching the, the, the video of this, it turned back because I was thinking to an author that I've read. And one of the things that he, he has a quote and it's from Brett Ledbetter. And he says, do you play to win or just not to lose? And that idea kind of comes up here for, for you is that it wasn't, you know, your fear was like, I'm playing to win. Like I, I'm, I'm here to win. I'm here to execute on this thing and I will give up whatever it takes to win here. Right. That, that like there is no losing is not an option. Um, whereas like, you're not in this mindset of like, I'm just playing to not lose. Right. Exactly. And I, and I, right. Cause as, as runners and as athletes, like we've all been in a race and I can think to, you know, plenty of my high school runners that as they mature, right? They're the, they're the one steppers. They're the people that just have to be at the very front of the group. And it's, it's the ego or it's the, the, the part of the athletes. Like I just, I need to be in the front of the workout. Um, so they feel safe. So they feel comfortable, even though that, that may be a bad behavior that doesn't allow them to fully express themselves on race day. Right. Um, and, and so I think about this, um, and, and really just ties back to how did you view yourself in the success, but also how your wife viewed all of this, like that level of support, I think is what anybody would ask for in a partner. Um, so it's an amazing to see that you have a business partner and a training partner twofold. And I think of my wife and I in much the same way is that like, I said, Hey, like I want to do this big thing and Hey, the house has got to go and we're going to figure it out and live in the, live in a camper for two years. You know, I I'd probably have to have a speech with Katie. Like I would have to have to <laughs> make the speech, but I also, I also know that deep down that there is that mutual level of trust with your training partner and things like that. And that's what makes those bonds so, so important. And so, you know, between Jonathan Beverly and like kind of this, this thing, you got traction and all of a sudden you get traction and it feels like we're to today, but I'm sure that there was so much of an arc there that now like you got traction at some point doubt had to settle in, right? Like I think back through every race that, 
I've ever run, like I'll hit a point where I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if this is gonna, if this is gonna actually happen today. And, uh, and that, that personal belief and trust, like I almost had to double down, uh, as whether an athlete or as a business owner, I, I had to like firmly, like put a stake in the ground. You know, did you feel like there was ever a point for you? Like you, you had to like stand in your values of like, all right, I'm, this is, this is how we're going to do it. Was it a production issue? Is there ever anything in that, you know, side of things that, that really made you like, okay, I got to stand firm. Yeah. hundred percent. I can, I can actually easily answer that one because it is fresh on my mind and that, you know, we just got through COVID as a business and, uh, that thing you're talking about for me personally was, um, our amazing staff. So it's one thing if I lose everything and I'm eating out of a can. It's another thing if I have this amazing group of people that believe in the company, believe in me, and I can't let them down. And I feel like that's what sort of, that's where there is some high pressure that goes into that and just some anxiety and just like, we need to make this work. Um, That definitely changed. So when you're this free, you know, free going entrepreneur guy, it's like, I'm gonna do anything, I'm confident. And then you start adding on this amazing team and surrounding yourself with the most supportive people, you can't let them down. So definitely for me, you know, it was like, I do this, I, I serve everybody. So it's funny, like, I'll sometimes hear people say like, oh, I would love to like have my own business and like be my own boss. And like, I don't feel that way at all. I mean, it's really not like I serve our customers. I serve our staff. I'm, uh, I'm, you know, like, it's not like you're just free to do whatever you want. I mean, that's, that's a misconception. I think a lot of people think that, but at least in my experience, it's just not true. And it could happen if you just don't care. I mean, I suppose if you didn't care about your team, you could act that way. But yeah, for me personally, it's like, I can't let them down. And and I feel like, you know, that, that thing you mentioned about, you know, competing out of fear. And I, I think that happens in business too. I think what happens when you're really new, you have nothing to lose. You don't know what you're doing. You're just like, and as you get a little more seasoned and you see it in all sports. I mean, I see it as I'm with a lot of athletes over the years, over the past decade of watching, you know, high level runners and track athletes. I see that a lot of times they operate more out of fear. It's like, I can't do worse than them. Or they have these expectations. Like I can't run worse than and I feel like, in, at least in professional running, you're only as good as your last race, oftentimes, at least for like marathon running. So you always have to be at this consistent level. And it's a fear. It's like you're running out of fear. And instead of in the beginning, when you're like, I'm just going to crush, I'm going to like lay it down and I have nothing to lose. Like that's a very magical place to be in. And I think all young runners and young business people should just appreciate those moments because that is a magical time, but it does go away. So shifting into that next stage, I think is something that's, it makes you a bit seasoned, you know, like, so I, I'm getting gray hair and it just, it makes you seasoned. That's what happens. Yeah. Right. Like there's, there is that ignorance is bliss moment, right? Like I even think to my early days as an athlete and just starting into this, like, right. Like I, I think there's that stage of where every athlete runs and it's like, Oh, every race is a PR right? Like you, you're going out and you're constantly improving. And if you're at a high enough level and you have high enough fitness, those PRs may also come with race wins, which means money and prizes. And then there's a, there's a tipping point and there's this defining point, whether it's in business or in your athletic career, where it's like, okay, now I have to come up against something, whether that could be an injury that could be, uh, you know, just, 
something happens in the production line and now it's like, oh, you can't get what you need for six months. How do you shift, right? And I think of, uh, I mean, we both know, you know, we could name 10 athletes off the top of our list that have had those, you know, maybe we won't call them career defining injuries, but injuries that made them, right, that, that word value comes up of like, they, they had to value how much training meant in their daily life that if they had, you know, torn labrum or something like that, where they're out for six months, that next race, that next chance that you get as an athlete, that's pressure, right? That pressure is there now to perform. And again, right, there can be a place where we crumble, businesses fail, they go under because they couldn't handle the pressure at the next level. Um, and I've always tried to explain to my athletes and even in business that like pressure is a privilege and that like when, when you do get to that point where it's like, oof, we got to make this work. Like, you know, my question to you is like, where does that kind of that, where does that chutzpah come from? Right. To, to kind of do what you do to say, okay, uh, you know, this first, this first prototype was awesome and we sold a lot of them and, and what made you then go, maybe we can make some other tools. Maybe we can shift this, right? Like you could see an athlete shifting from professional marathon running into trail running. And it's yep. enough of an adjacency to, to be able to say, Hey, I can still be very successful here, but I'm successful in a lot of different areas now. Yeah, um, exactly. Got multiple different tools, right? Yeah, exactly. So we, um, I mean, I kind of treat, um, each new product, it's almost like you sign up for that next marathon down the road. And our goal basically is to, we, we need to be the best in any category we compete in, we have to be the best. So if we, if we go make, let's say like a foot roller, because the R3, that's been really great for us. That's the orthopedic foot roller. We, we studied that thing. I mean, it, it's almost embarrassing how much, oh yeah, you got one there. Nice. Yeah. I love that thing. So we, <laughs> it was almost like we put so much thought into like what's out there. I mean, at the time it was basically just like lacrosse balls, you know, like, okay, that's like right. basically the best thing out there at the time is just a lacrosse ball. And they're great. I'm not denying that. But like we thought, okay, how can we improve this? How can we make the best foot roller in the world? And every product we approach, it's the same way where we say, uh, you know, how can we make this the best in the world? How can this be different? I mean, we're not just going to slap our logo on some existing product and be done with it. I mean, everything we make has to be unique, different, and really the best in that category. Um, and it's a huge challenge. I mean, it's a massive challenge, especially nowadays. As more competition is coming in, it gets it gets harder and harder. And that just means for me personally, you know, surrounding yourself with the best team you can. And, you know, I, I can't be the bottleneck anymore. It's like we have to continue to innovate and grow. And, you know, my big thing is innovate or die. I have that written on my wall. It's like you, you got to keep innovating or you're going to die. If you don't keep changing and adapting, you die. And there's a number of ways to do it. It's not just product. There's other ways to run the business. Other, there's other stuff to do. But in general, if you focus on making the best service or the best product you can possibly make that it's a joy to use, if, if people are just happy to use it, that that's, the, that's 99% of it right there. It's just make a service or a product that people like. And I, it sounds simple and it, it really is. And, and so if you can improve something and you know, just delight your customers. Make sure that whole experience, like for us, we, we, we focus a lot on packaging and all of it. So when they first get it, when they order it on the website, when they get the tracking, when they receive the package, when they open it up, every time, you know, everything they do, we want to make sure that it's an enjoyable experience. And if it's not, 
we try and change it as fast as possible. And we've changed things. I mean, you know, we have a limited lineup for products, but, you know, we've adapted them and changed them slightly, whether it's packaging or the product themselves, just to ensure that, uh, just so we keep, you know, keep changing it and, you know, keep staying hungry as well, like hungry for that next product. No, I, I, I think that's great. I, I, I have a close friend of mine, uh, Brett Bartholomew, um, strength coach, communication guy across the board. And, you know, one of the things that he really talks about is like that customer experience part of that is so important. Um, and I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to, uh, post this in the show notes. Um, there's a, there's a hotel chain and when they have like a, a service that like, it's about creating that customer experience and creating something that's so important that like when you go there, the first time you go there, it's almost like they, they take what that, what that experience is. What do you like? Right. If, uh, and it's all about also asking good questions and seeking out at times that negative, what, what can be perceived as negative feedback. If we don't seek out feedback, right. Where like, this is where the coaching comes in, right. Is like, Sometimes you're going to have somebody in your life that acts as a coach or you hire a coach, business coaching or, or, you know, athlete to coach. And it's about being challenged, but also like what this hotel chain does really well is like they learn to ask questions that help make the experience better. If, if your favorite color is purple, then they're going to put purple flowers in there. And if you really like the mints and they find like, Ooh, I want some more of those mints, then you get extra mints next time you show up and right. The room smells the way that you like it. And then every single time that you show up to the hotel, no matter where you are in the world, that experience is the same. And it's about creating something that feels like home, that feels comfortable, that, you know, I can think that when I got my first device to now, it's like, I know what I'm getting. I know that I'm getting a high quality product. I know that I'm getting something that I can rely on, but also like if there is an issue, I'm not left out in, in the ether wondering what's going to happen. Like, I think it's also about backing it up. And the same thing goes with our business is like, I ask all of my athletes that, Hey, if something isn't right, like let's have the tough conversation. Um, let's, let's have that piece because that's important about, about how we get better. And I love that, that innovate or die kind of mentality, because we live in a world now where there are a lot of choices and it's always such a huge compliment to me that people choose us and that people choose, you know, whether it's lifelong endurance or even right. Like someone like yourself, real recovery, um, that they, they made a choice. There are a lot of other options. There's a lot of other things they can do, but when they choose us, that that to me is like, that's a total compliment. I am blessed to, to be able to do that. I I'm curious now is like, I want to dig into Jeremy a little bit because we've talked role. Like let's, let's talk a little personal development side. Like from your standpoint, you talked about having to step out of the business and I, as a coach and now as a business owner, that's a very hard thing to do. Like that, that growth is a leader kind of bring me to that world. When did you kind of realize that you're like, okay, I can't do I can no longer do everything. Uh, yeah, I can't do the yeah. marketing and this kind of bring me into that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so when we first started out, I mean, I was basically, I, I remember figuring out how to print a shipping label on the box and where do you even put it on the box and how do you tape the box and what kind of boxes do you get? And where do you even take boxes and where do you ship them? And I remember going through all of those questions and when you start out, you're, you're, you do all of it, right? So I was, I was a customer service person. I was the custodian, you know, I was, uh, basically, you know, everything answering the phones, like, and eventually you start, you know, letting those things go 
And I think the hardest part for sometimes a lot of entrepreneurs is letting go of like the key things, like whether it's product development. I mean, cause I'm, I'm a product guy. Like it's just in me, I'm an idea guy. It's just like, that's just who I am, but letting that go and trusting those around you. And um, I would say the shift it's sort of, for us, it's really gradual. We never have, we've never had that explosive growth where it's like, you hear about those companies sometimes it just in six months, you just explode. And it's like, they're a completely different company. I mean, we've, We've slowly grown steadily over the years, consistently, and and our team has just grown along with us slowly, and and they've stayed with us or dedicated, and it and it's absolutely amazing. But I think the the recipe in that is trust. So you really have to trust them, even though sometimes I'm like, oh, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't have done it that way, or I would do it this way. You have to just keep your mouth closed and trust trust them to do what they do and get out of their way. If you if you really do hire the best people get out of their way, let them do their job, you know, teach me about it. And now what's actually amazing. I love this when they do stuff better than I would do it. So when I go down, I'm like, Hey, what happened here? They're like, Oh yeah, this is how we do. It. And they're teaching me. Well, here's how we do this. Here's how we do that. I mean, that's, that's awesome. I love that, that they're now better than I am at certain things. And, uh, and we still have a lot to learn. I mean, I think we're always learning and uh, as we develop more and more products, I can't be the bottleneck. Oftentimes it's so counterintuitive to say that I am the bottleneck of the company. I mean, that's a bad thing that needs to be fixed. At least I recognize that, but you know, I think as, as we grow and, and outsource a lot of that, because we're kind of in this spot now where, um, you know, we don't have a dozen managers managing all these other things that just report to me. I mean, I'm, we're basically a small team that we're all wearing a lot of the same hats. And so what that means is that, um, you know, we're all kind of watching each other's back, taking care of each other. And eventually as we grow, we'll, we'll delegate more out of that. I mean, you, you know, uh, Matt Hensley pretty well, and he's always asking yeah. me, hey, what, what can I take off your plate? Like what, what's, what's holding up this process? And those are the best questions to ask. It's like, what's holding everything up? Where can we get past that? And, um, and it's really just trusting those people to just, to just do it. And, and I think I've gotten better at that over the years. Cause in the beginning, it's like, I mean, imagine yourself, you know, if you're, if you have this amazing relationship with your athletes, your coaching, you have this coaching business. And as you grow, you're eventually you're going to need some assistant coaches and, uh, and strength coaches and maybe nutritionists and different experts that maybe say other things that you didn't necessarily agree at first on. And you have to trust them. So, you know what, I, I'll let this one go or I trust it and see how it plays out. And, I think that just takes experience, but I think for me, it's just being open-minded. And I mean, I'm a listener. I think, I think the main thing too, is that I think great product designers and, and just great entrepreneurs, they're really good listeners. They have just this keen awareness, like, okay, you should be listening a lot more than you're talking. I, I'm always kind of weary that a lot of people can talk really well and they're out there just spewing on and on, but I'm kind of like, show me, don't tell me like, the proof is in the pudding. Show it to me, and 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 just you know listen to the people. And so if you listen really well, you'll learn a lot instead of just walking through. Going, oh, I know how to do this, and you're just like plowing through it. You're gonna make a lot of mistakes. You're eventually gonna trip up big time, and you see it happening. You see it even big corporations. You see it happening. Yeah, you know I I think too that that point is like one you you have to hire people that are are smarter and better than you. I think that's first. Of, first and foremost, but also like, again, this, this intersection of, of athlete and entrepreneur is, you know, you have to have that off season in, in a sense. And what I mean by that is we have to all 
at some point go through this period of self-reflection where you do have to ask yourself, am I getting in the way or what is getting in the way of my success? And sometimes we in our minds think, okay, I'm doing everything I possibly can to do this right. And again, I'll harp on the ideas of like strength training and all of these other little things that like, that's what's going to make you better. And so sometimes you can't be the athlete that's like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to do the strength training that I need to do. No, you need to hire someone to right, train you and kind of, again, get out of your own way because you're not an expert in that. Somebody is, and that job is so easy for them because they know their stuff inside and out. You need to hire that. And so in a way, like I think as athletes start off, they are that, that upstart athlete when you think about it. And then we have to move into this slightly more corporate athlete as we both age, but also as we get more mature and realize that it requires a team. And we have to build that team around us as both athletes, right? You talked about Adriana has, you know, she had someone that was giving her massages. She has a coach. She's got, you know, probably someone that helps manage nutrition or at least probably at some point has had nutrition advice come in. Um, and so everything from someone that's studying form and mechanics to all of that, there are experts that that come in and they they become part of your athlete team. And so whether you're an upstart athlete that's just kind of getting into this or you've shifted and you're like a little bit mature more into that business side, like it still takes a team. But what requires most is you sometimes have to look inward and be like, oh, I need to get out of my own way. I need to shift out of this position and say, hey, all right, this is this is a place where where I'm going to let you handle this and we're going to see how this goes. And yeah, maybe maybe we'll go ahead and win this race, but you're going to change and learn something along the way. And that's how, I mean, that's relationships. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think, I think you've really brought some amazing points. And I think where I want to kind of take this next is, you know, we talked on the phone, you know, before this podcast, just kind of downloading and, and catching up. Um, you're doing some amazing things with the local community as well as some local groups. Um, you guys have a, a relatively new facility uh, where you guys are doing this. So I, I want you to kind of bring people into the world of like, where where is Roll Recovery now? How many you know tools and products do you guys have available? Um, you know, what what is what does it all look like? What's a I guess in the way a, a small a small you know capture of what is what is where is Roll now from one roller to where are you now? Yeah, it, it is pretty amazing. I mean, if you were to, when you guys come up and see our space, I mean, I think a lot of people come in and they just feel like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And if you saw where we started, if you saw that garage, I was whittling away prototypes and getting boxes delivered to our front door out of our, the tiniest, cheapest apartment we could afford in Boulder at the time going to this place. And, um, it's just, it's crazy how far, I mean, sometimes I have to pinch myself like, wow, this has really just been just what a journey. And part of that is just being really in tune with the community. I mean, I'm, I'm hugely passionate about like giving back to the community and just being very involved in the running world. And um, I mentioned to you earlier, but we, we basically teamed up with um, on running now has the team OAC, which you know about with um, coach Dathan Rissenheim and yeah, amazing group of athletes. And they were, this was, this was, uh, this was during COVID. So 20, this is like way early 2020. Uh, Ritz moved back into town. I was like, Hey, we, we should grab coffee, catch up, whatever. And he kind of caught me up on what's going on. And at that time we had sent basically everyone home. So everyone's working from home. There's usually one or two of us in the, in this, uh, in our office warehouse at the time. And it's, it's a pretty decent sized space. And 
Dathan was telling us like, Hey, you know, we're, we're trying to find this kind of a headquarters for the team. We want to lift weights. We just kind of have like a place where everything is together. And we have, we have PT there massage. So basically make it like the, the best, you know, running recovery performance center we can possibly make. And I was like, how about we team up and we will basically sponsor the space. So we, we decked out a large portion of our office into this recovery training room uh, for Dathan's team. And it's been awesome. I mean, I think it just brought a whole amount of energy in here. A lot of young athletes and, and they did really well. I mean, Alicia Monson, and Joe Klecker, Ollie made, you know, made the Olympics this year and uh, just watching them come in and watching Dathan build the team too. And uh, it's been really fascinating just to see it. And, and, you know, I've been involved in a lot of different running groups, you know, like uh, Adriana ran for Mammoth Track Club. We lived up there for, you know, off and on a couple of three years, I guess. And just being involved in a lot of the Boulder groups and, and seeing how they operate, how they function and, and uh, watching this team, watching OAC, how they function, extremely professional. I mean, everyone is just on fire. I mean, they're like so super hyped up, but it's important for us to be tight with all the community. I mean, like with Emma Coburn, you know, with, uh, with her group and just great friends with basically everyone out there. We, we want to support them any way we can. I mean, like we're open for all ideas and, and uh, any way we can help. I mean, we're still a small company, but if there's a way that we can improve running and especially, you know, the Boulder running community and improve that, we just love that. We're just hugely passionate about us. And sometimes I feel like, are we, are we wasting too much time? Are we like focusing too much on this? But I, it's just, maybe it's just a passion. I, we just like it. And, um, it's been wonderful. It's been really cool seeing the, especially this OAC team and how they've grown. I think coming in, it had, you know, maybe six or seven athletes sign. And now they're going to have up to 14 this next year. That's all awesome. Your Paris Olympics. And, um, you can count on it, that there'll be more Olympians on the way. And, um, you know, Ritz is definitely, Dathan's fired up, you know, to get, get everybody as, you know, the best they can possibly be. And, it's really cool watching that. I mean, they're right outside of my office. So I'm, I'll be in here grinding away on something and I'm, I'm hearing them doing deadlifts and like screaming about something, you know, like lifting weights. And it, it's, it's super cool to see that. It's, it's great energy. I don't think, uh, I, I think everybody that's listening can agree that there's no one can, can fault you for investing in something that you're passionate in. Right. And, and I think there's, the, the best investment is in people and in ideas, uh, and, and that belief. And so, you know, I'm, I, I can probably, I can probably speak, you know, for that whole group that, you know, that investment is in them, but in that group in total, like the cool thing is, is you get to watch those people on TV and go, yeah, I'm a part of that success. And it, yeah. it doesn't matter how small, right. And like, you're creating a tool, you're creating a product that does have an impact. Um, you know, we, we can talk about innovation and like all of those things, but I think what's most important here is that whether you're creating a product or a service that it, it's not about having the most impact possible, right? That's not, not your goal per se, right? We kind of talked about like, are you playing to win? Are you playing just not to lose? And right. Like you're, you're a part of a winning team and you're helping them that 1% further, that 1% better. And so, you know, that's, that's what I think is really exciting about this conversation is that your, your arc as an entrepreneur is much the same as any athlete goes through as, as they mature as, as, as an athlete, as a runner. Um, and we, we end up getting to this place where it's like, we do have to continue innovating. We have to keep 
striving to say, okay, if I want to get another PR this year, it's not just more miles, right? It's not just selling more, you know, more rollers at the end of the yeah. day. It's like, how do we innovate as a company? Cause you've got, you've got the R3, you've got the R8, you've got the R8 plus. And yeah, we just yeah, launched the R8 plus. Have you tried that one out? You got to check it out. It's, I it has haven't this internal tried it mechanism in it that I'm really proud of it. I mean, it's like this, the gearing in there to make that work. It was just super cool. Great project to work on. So we just launched that. And then we have this next year coming out. We'll have some uh, really exciting stuff coming out. That's cool. I'm really excited to see it. I think the, uh, you know, the thing that was where I saw, I was like, okay, this is really starts to be something that's cool is that you made something modular. You made something that, um, it's no longer just this static tool. You've created something that you can adjust based on what you like. Right. And so you think about how does the customer interpret this, right? Again, we'd go back to that customer experience idea of like, well, I like purple. So we're going to put purple flowers in your room. You're like, well, I like one side of this thing to be really plush. And that, that, that's very comfortable for me. And other people are like, I want you to pound the life out of my legs. Yeah, and that's absolutely. what helps them. Right. And so you've been able to create something that is here's this base and here's how we add on to make this an experience that, well, maybe you don't want it to be super hard today. Well, cool. You can buy a different insert that allows us to become a tool that isn't just a single use thing, right? We think about the, the age old foam roller that is, you know, just this tube of foam of hard foam. And like, it does, it does a, it does a job pretty well. It does its job. Yep. It serves a purpose. But again, right, it takes a, a very unique person to look at that and go, okay, but if we do this, if we, if we add a ridge, if we add a valley, you know, then it becomes, oh, okay, now, it's, now we can do better myofascial release. We can do and pinpoint these areas and we can kind of tack and hold, which again, you used to have to have someone there. You used to have to pay for that $100, $150 massage. And I am by no means discrediting massage or massage therapist at all, but again, Right. When we think about, can I buy a tool? Can I buy something that's going to help take me to the next level and help me recover for my next session? Because if you're not recovered, you can't perform. That's just plain and simple. You can't perform if you're, you're under recovered. So is there a tool that I can purchase that is going to help me recover that I'm going to enjoy and doesn't require me um, where I can passively engage with it? Where that's where we are now as people is that we want to have relatively passive engagement. Um, and sitting down to foam roll, like you said, like I have to sit in a plank and do this. Like if I'm at work, it's something that can sit on my desk. If I'm, you know, if I'm in the car, I can put it in my backpack. I can put it in the car. You know, you can travel with it. I think that was the biggest innovation I saw is that something as small as this R3 for someone that like myself who has plantar fascia issues, but this can be a great problem solver when you're traveling. Um, or even like the R8, it's great to have in your bag because it's, 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 it's very clear what it is. But it's 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 light enough. It's travelable enough. It can go in your carry on. I've seen people walk through the airport with a th four foot foam roller, and I'm like, really? Like, that's, <laughs> I don't think that's yeah. the best use of your your baggage space. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you hit it. I mean, everything we make has to be you know travel friendly because that's it's part of our DNA. I mean, when we started, we were traveling around the world racing. And, you know, generally you have limited real estate in that bag. So what can you fit in there to get the most bang for your buck? And that's, that, that's a lot of those constraints we have as we develop products is like, will people travel with it? Will they take it with them? The biggest product we make is the R4. That's our, our body roller. 
And we still see people jamming that thing in their suitcase and taking it with them to races. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, everything has to be compact, travel friendly, um, easy to use, a joy to use. I mean, it's, it's, I think the coolest thing is I've been on flights before where I'll walk down the aisle getting on the plane and I'll see someone rolling with the R8 in their seat. And I'm like, Hey, I know that product, you know, like, and they don't know me, you know, they're just like, I just, it's just like the coolest thing to see that, that people are actually using it. They're using it as intended. They enjoy using it and just going to these expos. Like we just got back from uh, the New York city marathon expo and just meeting with the runner, seeing them, watching them try it out. It's just the coolest thing, like the joy on their face. And it's the same story. It's like, what is that thing? And we don't have a sales pitch. Like we try not to have this like kind of cheesy sales pitch. We say, just try it. I mean, come, come here, try it. And that, that, that's the proof. The proof is in the pudding. Like just sit down, check it out. And then they always go, holy cow, this thing's amazing. What is this? Wow. Like that just kind of like refreshes, I would say all of us. And when you're grinding away, when you're working, sometimes you lose that perspective of like, we're really making these products for people. This is a human business. We're improving people's lives, making it slightly easier for them. And, you know, our, part of our philosophy is like, uh, when you're not training, you're basically recovering the whole time. I mean, you can only train, we know that, a very limited time throughout the day, very limited. And a lot of people are focused on that training part. There's books, there's videos, there's so much emphasis on that training part. But what do you do the other 23 hours out of the day? sometimes that can be more important than that actual workout you did. So everybody's focused on the workout. I did this workout. I did this run. But what are you doing the other, you know, 22, 23 hours out of the day? And, you know, and sleep and nutrition and just, you know, how are you recovering? Um, Watching, you know, these, the world's best athletes, you know, multiple Olympians, major marathon winners, Olympic gold medalists, watching how they recover has developed, has basically like been the ingredients for our company, learning what they do and how they do it, when they do it, um, has just been, you know, really like the jolt that has, um, you know, in all of our products, it's just built into them. I love that. Cause I, I think back to that too, sometimes as a business owner and as a coach, you, you have those moments of, of, of doubt, you know, or, or of, of strain, and, you know, I, I kind of keep this, this little wall of, of just when I think about I'm creating something or I'm writing a plan or, you know, just how I carry myself and interact with my athletes, I think back to a few key people that, you know, that have either written me a letter or shared their experience with me about, hey, you know, this, this helped me feel this way. You know, we have a, our, our elite team for our high school group. And one of the things is, is that it's, it's a unique thing because it's, you're invited. It's not just a, a function of, did you hit this time? It's also a function of character, right? Because right, individual excellence does not always mean uh, that they're, they're great people. And so it's an invite thing. And it's like, I give someone an envelope, like it could be at a practice, it could be kind of a random time. And I give them the envelope. And um, one of my athletes wrote me a letter. Um, and it was actually for like a college essay about kind of like receiving the letter and like what that meant for them. And I'm like, okay, well, that is a, an amazing driving force behind my coaching, uh, behind my own personal innovation as, as a coach, as, as an athlete, even myself of like, okay, this is why I keep doing this. And you get those little reminders. And I have to think that, and I've never experienced this myself, that walking down the aisle of a plane or in an airport, and you're like, 
Yep. I created that. And it's like, you kind of want to like you as a person get cheeky about it because you're like, this is really cool. This is a cool moment. And they're like, okay, this is, you know, like, yeah, they're like, who are you weirdo? Go to your seat. (laughs) Like I I made that, like that was something I created in my garage. And like, so that has to be such an amazing full circle moment to see that. But I'm with you, right? Like the, the putting a smile on someone's face is always the biggest reward. And I'm sure you guys have gotten letters and feedbacks and reviews that are like, this product changed how I train. This product changes what I do. Um, and so I'm, I'm just excited because now, now I'm, this gets me even more excited about being able to go out coach and, and kind of take my, my whole thing to the next level. This is, this has been an amazing conversation, Jeremy. I'm really, really excited, uh, to have had you on. I'm excited to see where, uh, role continues to go. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Awesome conversation. I, I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. And we'll, uh, we'll have to have you on and maybe we'll, uh, We'll have to get Dathan uh, on, on the podcast one of these days. and might have to uh, to connect with you there. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, and you guys come come over anytime and check out the space. We'll have to. I think maybe we'll uh, we'll put together a little video of something about coming and checking out the space and putting uh, you know some those mental images into real videos. Yeah. But before we we drop off, I want to make sure that if people are just became introduced to rural recovery via this podcast, um, or anything, where can people find you rural recovery, Instagram website? Where's, where's the best way to get a hold of you guys and see what you guys have? Yeah, definitely. Our website, rollrecovery.com, Instagram at roll recovery. Uh, and then we're really focused on specialty running retail. So we're in almost every running store in the, in the country. So go in if you're if you're uh, going to your local store. If they don't carry us, ask them nicely to carry us. And uh, yeah, find us online. I'll, I'll I'll put it more forcibly because Jeremy didn't is demand the no <laughs> go <laughs> exactly. go to the manager and demand that they care. No, um, exactly. Uh, Jokes aside, um, you know, check these things out. I know we've got a number of listeners that are outside the U.S. Um, you guys ship outside uh, the U.S. We do every day. Yep, DHL. Awesome. So if you guys aren't aren't in the U.S., uh, definitely encourage you guys to check these products out. Um, and Jeremy, we'll uh, we'll have to get together here soon and, and talk more about innovation and all the exciting stuff that is product development. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey guys, Coach Andrew Simmons here. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Defining Endurance, the podcast from Lifelong Endurance. Do you want more information and content between shows? Follow us on Instagram at lifelong underscore endurance, as well as on Facebook. You can also check out our YouTube page for more running and strength training tips. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We look forward to seeing you guys next week.